Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Uh, our guest this evening was born in England and raised in California. In 1998, she began to collect her book of miniseries, which resulted in When I'm Old and Other Stories, published by Alternative Comics. In 2001, she moved to New York and released her autobiographical series, Lucky, published by Drawn and Quarterly. Her work has been selected for the 2007, 2009, and 2010 Best American Comics and the Yale Anthology of Graphic Fiction, and she has contributed to McSweeney's Book Forum, The Believer, and Vice Magazine. The title story of Bell's book, Cecil and Jordan in New York, has been adapted for the film anthology Tokyo by Michelle Gondry. Her latest book, The Voyeurs, is available from Uncivilized, book, uh, Uncivilized Books and also here. Uh, she right now lives in Brooklyn, New York. Please join me in welcoming Gabrielle Bell. Thank you. I was originally going to have uh, my publisher, Tom Kaczynski, here with me to do all the other voices, as well as promote his own book. But he didn't finish it, so I have to do all the voices myself. I'm going to do um, four short stories. You hear me all right? Um, one of them is from The Voyeurs, and the rest are um, comics that I've done recently just for, for this show. And the first story is called Two Facts About Bears. Can we turn off the lights a little? <laughs> I feel very naked. <laughs> True facts about bears. The polar bear, 
Of all the bears, the polar bear is the cutest, cuddliest, and has the highest ratio of adorableness per square inch. It is also the most bloodthirsty, vicious, and murderous of all the bears. It is a myth that a bear is more likely to attack a menstruating woman. This is true, I read it in Mother Jones. Except for the polar bear, who will detect your scent all the way from the North Pole and come running to devour you from the crotch up. <laughs> a bear will only attack you if A, it is startled, B, to protect its cubs, or C, it is starving. The polar bear, however, is a loose cannon. Maybe he'll eat you, or maybe he'll snuggle with you, or maybe both. Most bears eat leaves, grass, flowers, berries, fruit, mushrooms, acorns, nuts, small mammals, honey, and the occasional picnic plastic. The polar bear eats seals, <laughs> dolphins, <laughs> walruses. Every year, the Arctic sea ice melts some more, making it harder for the polar bear to get at her seals and wal walruses and dolphins, and she is getting very hungry. My next story is called My Prince. Sorry, I'm just getting the hang of this here. <laughs> My Prince. Sometimes I wonder if Kate Middleton ever draws comics. <laughs> Madonna is here to see you, your royal highness. Oh, blimey. <laughs> because even now, I still have my princess dreams. Tell me, Madge, which version is funnier? Does it even work? You can tell me, I can take it. Oh, it doesn't work, does it? I can tell by the look on your face. <coughs> of course, my prince would have to be a total black sheep. Maybe there would have been a third son born to the house of Windsor, but he was so weird they thought he was maybe mentally impaired or crazy. So they sent him away and hid him from the media at an early age. <laughs> I say, old chap, coming along on the chase. George says animals should have the same rights as people because they feel just as much. Ha ha ha. In fact, he'd be neither of these. Just highly insensitive, and he grew up to study philosophy, history, women's studies, sociology, and religion. <gasps> Society is just a hierarchical construct based on a system of domination, violence, and control, and I myself am the privileged, complicit oppressor? He would quit school, renounce his family, and go to India, where he'd join an ashram led by a charismatic guru, meditating and fasting for a year. 
but he'd be tortured by carnal desire for a serene young nun he'd see each day who'd see him seem so unearthly that she was more like a vision or a dream to him. One day he'd walk in on a scene that in one moment would cause his faith in Eastern spirituality to collapse. <laughs> He would return to England and travel aimlessly as a derelict. <laughs> in a squat in Brighton, he'd discover my old comics, and they would give him a peculiar comfort. <laughs> he'd wander through Europe and then to the Middle East, where he'd get caught up in violent protests. He'd get thrown in jail, where he'd remember how to meditate. He'd join a group of refugees and receive asylum in the, in the USA where he'd get a job driving a cab in New York City. Where are you from, man? Leave him alone. Doesn't, can't you see he doesn't want to talk? How do you know that? Maybe he does. What are you, like a surgeon where you're from? <laughs> <laughs> but that job wouldn't last long. I would first see him having a nervous breakdown as I walked down my street. There would be a freak hurricane warning, and as the streets were evacuated, I'd begin to worry. Homeless services. Hi, there's this man on Greenpoint Avenue who looks like he's got nowhere to go. We know the guy. We tried to pick him up, but he just said, let this storm carry me away. <laughs> At the very last moment, I'd invite him in to stay, much to the surprise of my roommate and his girlfriend, with whom we'd be stranded for several days without electricity, water, or gas. I don't know any trivia. Let's play Pictionary. As after the hurricane would pass, I'd let him stay and convalesce. Gabrielle, your house guest has eaten my entire jar of flax seeds. <laughs> what? He's eating solid food? That's wonderful news. But it would be obvious why I kept him around. Soon he would reveal to me his true identity, and we would talk about marriage. George, I love you, but as a feminist, I'm against marriage. I feel the same way, but if we marry, I might eventually take the throne, and then maybe I'll have a chance to do some good in the world. <laughs> of course, his family wouldn't know what to make of me, but soon they'd grow fond of my provincial ways. Woohoo! This banister is waxed. <laughs> with great reluctance, I'd consent to a small, intimate wedding with just my mom, the queen, and pretty much everybody. <laughs> Ever. And on Sundays, Kate and I would draw comics together. <laughs> Tell me, Gabrielle, does this make sense? It's a poignant. You can tell me. I can take it. <laughs> Zombie. Bear. Apocalypse. <laughs> Wandering through a deserted city with only a bear for company, looking for something to eat. Even a bear cannot protect you from zombies, but it is a comfort to have around. I found him when he was just a cub, recently escaped from the Bronx Zoo. His mother rescued me from zombies, and I rescued him. 
A bear makes an excellent companion, but as food grew scarce, I knew it would only be a matter of time before he would have to resort to making a meal out of me. So one night, I snuck away. But as soon as I left, I regretted it. I wasn't sure what I felt more sharply, my hunger, my fear, or my loneliness. And so I concluded I had nothing left to live for. I determined the best thing to do was to find some zombies and just let them have at me. And then one day, I ran into my friend Sadie. Sadie? She didn't seem to recognize me. Was she a zombie? If so, why wouldn't she eat me? Was it some deeply buried loyalty, unmarred even by undeath? I don't care. Come back and eat me. I don't want to live anyway. I followed her. She was inhumanly strong and fast. She scaled a building like it was no big deal and slipped through a little window. I searched the building up and down, but it was totally abandoned. Then I heard hushed voices coming from a, hall, a crawl space in the hallway. On the other side, I found Sadie and her baby and all of our friends. There was Tony and Helen and Jenny and Steve. Why did you all leave me? Gabrielle, it's like this. You can eat this, but then you've got to go. We love you, but you can't stay here. You don't do anything but draw comics. You're a weak link. Keeping you would get us all killed. <laughs> you have nothing to contribute. You can't even cook. You guys just left me while I was sleeping. That's exactly it. You have to admit, you're lazy. You slept through the apocalypse. What about Jub Jub? What does he contribute? That's different. He has a future. Ub ub. I'm not leaving. You'll have to kill me first. She's right. We'll have to kill her. Otherwise, she'll come back as a zombie. Ub ub. You should do it, Steve. You're the, you've known her for the shortest length of time. Are you kidding? She was my girlfriend. You do it, Jenny. No, you do it. We'll draw straws. Ah! Will you guys just get it over with? <laughs> Shit, zombies. Ah! Will you shut him up? Shh, shh. Hey, chub, chub. God damn it, where's my crossbow? Chub, 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 chub. Oh, it's by the window. I saw a chicken. That's no zombie. That's my friend. <laughs> Since then, the apocalypse has been a lot of fun. Bear, bear, bear. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> Uh-oh, what have I done? I don't know what I did here. How's everyone doing? Great. <laughs> this story is called Manifestation. <coughs> and it is the one story that's in the voyeurs. I know you must all have a lot of questions and comments, but if you'll please save them until I've finished, I will try to explain the situation as best as I can. 
It all began when I ran into Shannon O'Leary at the Housing Works bookstore for the MOME release party. Gabrielle, I'm doing an anthology on feminism. Do you want to contribute? Hell yes, sign me up. It's about time feminism made a comeback. Suddenly, I began to rant. I hate it when men say women are biologically programmed to just want to have babies. And I hate it when women agree with them. And I hate it when women say they're exceptions to this rule, as if they don't want to identify with being women. In fact, I hate all men and all the women who love them. I'm going to do an adaptation of this book. That'd be awesome. Can I tell that to my agent? Absolutely. Put me down for the scum manifesto. <laughs> The next day, I went to write Shannon an email to say I didn't actually want to adapt the scum manifesto, but it was too late. It was already all over the blogosphere. <laughs> Have you read The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell? Well, this comic, which I had yet to draw, became my tipping point. Our next question on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is which indie cartoonist is currently adapting an extremist feminist tract from the 70s? As a matter of fact, in an interview with Leonard Lopate, Malcolm Gladwell referenced me. The Scum Manifesto was the tipping point for Gabrielle Bell. Someone told me Stephen Colbert made a joke about it. Apparently, the terrorists have won. And Michelle Obama mentioned it in a commencement address to the graduating class at Sarah Lawrence. I'm particularly interested to see how Gabrielle Bell handles the scum manifesto. I was even invited to Stockholm by the Ministry of Culture to present my scum comic for the King of Sweden. Apparently, Valerie Solanus is a big deal there. So now I've got to finish this thing by Solanus Dag, March 29th. <laughs> ah, shit. <laughs> the problem is, I can't even get through this stupid book. Every time I pick it up, it puts me right to sleep. <sighs> when I'm stuck on a comic, I have a secret resource. My mother lives alone on the top of a mountain without electricity or a phone. If I want to talk to her, there's nothing to do but wait until she calls me from the payphone in town, which she hitch hitchhikes to every few weeks or so for supplies. Now, there is something uncanny about my mother. Whenever I put her in a comic, it's invariably a success. For example, every time my work is chosen for Houghton Mifflin Harcourt's Best American Comics, it's always about her. Best American Comics, 2007, Gabrielle III, my mother, a lifelong vegetarian, cooks and serves our beloved pet chicken to fend off starvation. Best American Comics, Comics, 2008, my mother's urging me to read a book, sends me on a novel experience. Best American Comics, 2009. A school bully torments me until I'm forced to stand up to her. My mother only appears in one panel, and I only got an honorable mention for this one. <laughs> and of course, there's my graphic memoir, What My Mother Taught Me, which garnered the National Book Award, enjoyed 11 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, and has had the honor of being the only book to have been chosen twice for Oprah's Book Club. This book is so complex, so deep and resonant, only a second reading will do it justice. So, when my mother called one day, I was ready. Mom, what do you think about feminism? Oh God, this isn't for another one of your cartoons, is it? No, I'm just curious for my own personal reasons. 
Good, because it's getting pretty humiliating being your comic book character. Wait a minute, I know what this is about. You want me to help you with that scum manifesto comic you have to do, don't you? Mom, how do you even know about that? Oh, everybody around here won't shut up about it. I'll tell you one thing, Val was a piece of work, but she was right about some things. Wait a minute, are you saying you knew Valerie Solanas? It was New York in the 60s. Everybody knew everybody. Uh-oh, it looks like I'm out of court. And then, <laughs> as usual, I got cut off. Mom? 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 She didn't call again for five weeks. In the meantime, I used the money, the advance money from the comic to get addicted to OxyContin, hit a mother of two with my new sob and put her in the hospital, check myself into and out of a rehab center in Minnesota, and start a small publishing company. <laughs> when she finally called me back, I'd more or less pulled myself back together. Mom, are you okay? I was worried. Yeah, I was snowed in for a while. I ran out of firewood, so I had to burn all your old journals. <laughs> That's okay, just tell me about Valerie Stellanis. Well, you know the story with the Andy Warhol shooting, right? She asked him to produce a play that she wrote, and he lost the only copy of it, so she was convinced he was just conspiring to do it without her and take all the m credit and money. Honestly, Valerie, I, I, I can't find it. Uh, are you sure you, I didn't already give it back to you? Let me tell you about Val. After years of abuse, she ran away from her nutso family at the age of 14, but still managed to finish high school, put herself through college, and do some graduate work in psychology. We were both aspiring writers. She was turning tricks for a living. I was babysitting. I helped her edit her play, Up Your Ass, about a panhandler and a hustler. I have to admit, I was jealous. I could never write anything so raw, so intense, so unapologetic. So, so how is it? Does it make sense? It's pretty good. You misspelled dick fart. <laughs> you know the rest. She went all batshit paranoid, got a gun, and went and shot Andy Warhol. After that, she was in and out of psych wards, and I lost touch with her. In the meantime, I met that worthless piece of shit excuse for a human being father of yours and proceeded to procreate my dreams away. <laughs> Wait, that's it? That's all there is to the story? No, no, I'm getting to that. It was about 15 years later. I was in a pornography theater in Tokyo. Wait a minute, what, what were you doing in a porno theater in Japan? I don't remember you going to Japan. I think you were at camp at the time. Do you remember Mr. Kobayashi? Our karate instructor? Mom, did you have an affair with Kobayashi-san? Oh, God, no. Give me a little credit, will you? As a matter of fact, Ryu and I were the first and only providers of humble homegrown to the Far East in the 80s. <laughs> of course, it's not so easy. You can't just walk into Harajuku and hand out samples. There's the police, and then there's the Yakuza. Luckily, <laughs> Ryu, Ryu knew what he was doing. While he held them off, I escaped into the theater. I was in there for eight hours, terrified. That's when I saw this movie, roughly translated as Inside Your Rectal Cavity, about a panhandler and a hustler. The production and writing was credited to an American named Anton Warwick. Mom, why didn't you tell someone? 
Wasn't Valerie still alive in the 80s? Oh, the damage was already done. Anyway, how was I going to explain what I was doing in a porno theater with a briefcase full of money? Besides, maybe I was mistaken. After my conversation with my mother, I read the scum manifesto all the time. The male is a biological accident. The Y male gene is an incomplete X female gene. That is, has an incomplete set of chromosomes. The male is an incomplete female, a walking abortion. Maleness is a disease and males are emotional cripples. I read it all over the place, on street corners and restaurants, grocery stores, libraries. The male claim that females find fulfillment through motherhood and sexuality reflects what males think they'd find fulfilling if they were female. In other words, women don't have penis envy, men have pussy envy. <laughs> the male, because of his obsession to compensate for not being female, combined with his inability to relate and feel compassion, has made of this world a shit pile. What will liberate women, therefore, is the total elimination of the money work system, not the attainment of economic equality within it. For the revolution, Valerie proposes leaving. If all women simply refuse to have anything to do with men, ever, all men, the government and the national economy would collapse co completely. Where are you going? <laughs> Unwork. Scum members will get jobs and unwork until fired. Scum sales girls will not charge for merchandise. Office and factory workers will destroy equipment, etc. Attention shoppers! Women, everything is free. Men, save scum the trouble and eliminate yourselves. <laughs> Couple busting. Scum will barge into mixed male-female couples and bust them up. This is a raid in the name of scum. <laughs> Once men are driven from power, it will be free to get on with the business of healing the world. All meaningless work will be automated, leaving women free to do such things as finding cures for all diseases. Babies will be produced in laboratories because no woman, once liber liberated, will want to be a brood mare. And we will have a utopia of self-confident, thrill-seeking, freewheeling, female females, grooving, cracking jokes, making music, inventing, all with love. In other words, create a magic world. The only remaining males will be the men's auxiliary of scum. These benign men who, though unimprovable, will be of use to the female, obey her every command, exist in perfect obedience to her will. Excuse me. Please forgive me, Erev's Majestat. I am so tired. The truth is, I wrote this comic on my flight here, and I spent all of last night in the hotel room drawing it. And there's something I realized, which is that I chose to adapt a scum manifesto so I could say extreme and controversial things without actually having to stick my neck out or express any convictions of my own. In short, I was trying to hide behind Valerie Solanus. And as long as I'm confessing, let me tell you what my mother really said when I asked her about feminism. When I was little, I was very upset because I couldn't have a paper route. It wasn't allowed. If a girl wanted to make money, there was only babysitting. I grew up feeling like there was something wrong with me, something I needed to hide, like the way a Muslim woman hides behind a burqa, like I needed to hide behind a man. 
when you hide all your life, there is a disconnect between you and the world. My mom was a housewife with four children, but I don't think she was very suited to the job. I think she'd have been happier as, say, a lovable, eccentric, tenured English professor with sabbaticals and summers off to read and travel. Mom, why are you writing on the bed sheets? You can't do that. Why not? They're my sheets, aren't they? My mother didn't teach me to cook or sew or to do my hair or how to talk to boys. She was more interested in reading difficult books and thinking. As a homemaker, she unworked. And she pushed me into the world, neither a girl or a boy, just a big, awkward, ignorant thing, forcing me to invent myself as I went along. I am deeply grateful for that. Thank you. Um, it was hard for me to read Shannon O'Leary's part because she is here. <laughs> Thank you. Any questions? Any questions for Gabriel? Come on, there's a question out there. Yes. Where do you get your ideas from? No, that's not my question. <laughs> uh, at some point in your, in your work, you started, um, it, your memoirs started becoming sort of only semi-memoirs. Um, and so there's, there are fantasy elements and long passages where you tell us things your mother didn't say, things like that. What, what was it, do you, do you remember the point you started doing that, what your thought process were? Was it, was it conscious or? Um, I think uh, <laughs> I'm kind of bored with myself. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's a sort of, at some point there was some kind of mental split in what I was doing, that I had to take it further. It's kind of, I had to force myself. But it is, it comes from boredom too. After you live for a certain amount of time, <laughs> everything starts to be the same. And you have to work on variations of the theme. I think the cartoonists who were sort of like a 10 years older than you had the same thing where they, a lot of them started out with autobiography and then sort of got into other things and I actually think I, they have also said I was just bored. Well, I so think also it's um, very, I've always been trying to write fiction and then I always fall back on autobiography. It's like some sort of safe place. Um, and so I think that's my way of doing fiction, but still doing autobiography, which is comes more naturally for me. Because I think fiction, you have to access something. You have to go somewhere. And it's very scary and hard. So using autobiographic, bi auto, using myself somehow makes it a bit easier. Also, Joe Frank. Does anyone know Joe Frank? Oh my God, yeah. Joe Frank. He influenced me a lot in that. Like using himself as a, he's like a radio storyteller. He uses his own character, his own self, and tells sort of surreal stories. He uses cool music too. Any other questions? 
Yes. Um, do your friends and family worry that they're going to be in one of your stories? Like you Yeah, yeah, sometimes people will say, whenever somebody's going to say something interesting, they always say, don't put this in a comment. <laughs> my mom, my mother has gotten used to me using, like, when I first started doing comics about her, she was really upset, but after a while, she just <laughs> kind of resigned to it. I think people get used to it. Like, I've become used to being a character myself, and so I, it's easier for me than other people who are not autobiographical cartoonists. Any other questions? Okay, well, Gabriel, thank you very much. This has been a wonderful event. Once again, Gabriel Bell. And Gabriel will be signing your books. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.